So Isaiah 5, from chapter 1 to chapter, uh, from verse 1 to verse 7. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Hello. Oh, there we go. Um, thanks for reading, Wendy. So uh, Wendy's going to continue reading from John 15 in just a sec. Uh, but before she does, um, I want you to imagine uh, that you're the coach of the Matildas football team. Uh, it's the World Cup semi-final. It's five minutes before they take the pitch, and you've got one chance to speak to your team before they walk out into the biggest game of their life. What would you say? That's kind of like our passage, which uh, Wendy's about to read for us. Uh, Jesus is about to leave his disciples. In John 13, verse 1, he says that his time, his hour to depart this world had come. And this section of John, which we're looking at, is Jesus' last speech to his disciples before he goes to his death. So what words does Jesus leave with the guys who will become the church of God on earth? How would you prepare a sinful, unimpressive group of 11 Jewish guys, traders and fishermen, to become God's glorious, radiant, living church? Thanks, Wendy. So now um, we're reading from John chapter 15, which you'll find on page 1087 of the Church Bible. John chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. 
Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Why don't we hang out together afterwards, Anna? Is that okay? I'm going to hang out with you more. No, I want more later. Later, Jesus. Thanks, Wendy, and thank you, Anna. Yeah, I'll, we'll do a elbow and then one high five, and then I'll see you later. Okay, go the chooks. Well, morning, everyone. Thank you very much uh, for reading, Wendy. So did you see that? How is it possible for a ragtag group of fishermen, uh, sinners like those disciples, to become the church? God's special people who represent him on earth. And not just any church, but the fruitful church who pleases God. And what about us? What does it mean for us to be a fruitful church? Uh, Well, the answer is pretty clear. In verse 1, Jesus says that he is the true vine uh, and that the fruitful church will remain in him, in verse 4. So to prepare his disciples to become the church, God's people, uh, Jesus takes an Old Testament idea that God's people are like a vine, Now, Isaiah chapter 5, which uh, Wendy read first for us, that's where that image comes from. Uh, And we need to do some vine digging uh, in Isaiah if we're going to fully understand what Jesus means. So, are you ready to dig up some vines with me? 
Yes, good, good. Okay, well, open your Bibles to Isaiah 5. Now, keep a bookmark in uh, John 15, because we'll come back there soon. Uh, Let's see what this vine is all about. So this is a love song, and in this love song, God is pictured as a careful gardener in verses 1 and 2. He digs out an area, clears it of stones, plants the best vines, builds a watchtower, and looks carefully for the grapes that will produce a beautiful wine. Verse 7 tells us that this vineyard represents the house of Israel. Uh, The vines in the garden are God's people. But what kind of fruit is God looking for from his people? And what kind of fruit do they actually produce? Look there at the second half of verse 7. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. God is looking for justice and righteousness from his people. Fair enough. What does he get? Bloodshed. An outcry. Now, there's one more thing I want us to see from Isaiah before we jump back to John. What happens to the unfruitful vine? Did you see? Uh, We've got a community garden out there. You might have seen the mulberry tree as you came in this morning. If you haven't already, go pick some mulberries. They're great. Um, How would you know that the St. Matt's community garden team had given up on the St. Matt's community garden? Picture turning up to church one Sunday And there's weeds everywhere. The planter boxes are overflowing with dry, uncut stems. The compost has been left to the ibises. The ground is unwatered, cracked, dry, unloved. Look at verse 6 with me. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. Did you see the two aspects to God's judgment on the unfruitful vine? First, notice the removal of nurture. God's people need his life-sustaining care to survive, let alone produce fruit. And every second that we spend together as God's people is only possible because God allows it. He sends the rain. And here, God stops the rain. But there's something else, isn't there? Along with nurturing his vine, God prunes his vine. He cares for his people by removing that which is dangerous and unhealthy to allow them to grow. When God's people fail to produce justice and righteousness... The good fruit, he stops nurturing them and he stops pruning them. So, given the failure of God's people in the past, how could Jesus prepare his disciples to become the fruitful church? We'll come back to John 15 with me. And I've got three points today. There's three things I think this passage tells us that the fruitful church does. One, the fruitful church remains in Jesus. 
Two, the fruitful church joyfully obeys Jesus. And three, the fruitful church serves alongside Jesus in his mission to the lost. So back to John 15 and verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So how can sinful people like us and the disciples be the fruitful vine God wants us to be? Jesus' answer? You can't. But I already have. Uh, Let's talk about righteousness. Righteousness, that's doing the right thing in God's eyes. That's the fruit God wants from his people. And fair enough. Righteousness. We aren't righteous. We ignore God. We try to rule. We miss the point. We live in darkness. We aren't righteous. Jesus is righteous. We ignore God. Jesus is God's son. We try to rule. Jesus comes to serve. We miss the point. Jesus is the point. We live in darkness. Jesus is the light of the world. How hard would I really need to convince you of your failure to do the right thing in God's eyes? Look back at your week. Only Jesus is truly righteous. But what about justice? God's people are meant to be just, fair enough. We aren't just. We favor the friends we like. We look after our own interests. We seek gain at the cost of other people. We aren't just. Jesus is just. We favor the friends we like. Jesus dies for sinners. We look after our own interests. Jesus looks after others. We seek gain at the cost of other people. Jesus accepts loss at all costs for our gain. Do I really need to convince you of your failure to be just? Look back at your week. Only Jesus is just. See, Jesus is the true vine because he is always righteous and just producing the fruit that God wants. Step back into that team talk before the World Cup final. Now, you're going to have to pretend that the Matildas coach is a woman for this to work, okay? Because I know he's actually a guy, but pretend he's a woman. (laughs) Um, The players huddle around, they're nervous, they feel unprepared, and the coach steps out and takes off the suit jacket to reveal a jersey and says... I am the true striker. (laughs) Pass to me, and you win the game. (laughs) See, Jesus isn't just our leader from the sidelines. He is the ultimate people of God. He produces the fruit we were meant to. And therefore, we are only ever as fruitful as we are faithful to Jesus. We are only ever as fruitful as we are faithful to Jesus. 
So what does fruitfulness look like for our church? St. Matt's. Is it growing our numbers? Raising up more leaders, perhaps? Um, Becoming more well-known in the community? These things are great. But if they don't flow from a deep relationship with Jesus, if they aren't coming from a desire to remain faithful to Jesus, they aren't fruit at all. We cannot produce fruit outside of Jesus, the true vine. So as a church, we never graduate from the gospel. You see, the danger for us is that we would forsake the vine, leave it behind to go out on our own, follow the world's wisdom or our own wisdom to become a fruitful people of God. But to do that would be to become like a cut flower. A cut flower is bright and beautiful for a little while, but ultimately dead. Verse 6 is our warning. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. So point one. The fruitful church remains in Jesus. Uh, But how does the fruitful church keep going? Well, point two. The fruitful church will joyfully obey Jesus. Remember what happened to the unfruitful church in Isaiah. They not only lost God's nurturing care, but they also lost his pruning secateurs, if you like. You see, God prunes, refines, cuts back, reshapes the church he loves. How? Well, by his word. Look at verse 2 to 3. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. The word uh, for clean there, it's the same root word as pruned. So what is the word that Jesus speaks to prune his church? Uh, We'll look at verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. My dad is a fisherman, and when I was a kid, he taught me how to fish. And one of the first lessons he taught me about fishing is that if it feels easy, you're doing it wrong. If you're on the boat and you're reeling in and it's a struggle and you're pulling and wrestling with the fish, that's good. That means there's a fish on the other end of the line. The bigger the wrestle, the bigger the fish. You're standing there reeling in and it's easy. That's not good. That means there's no fish. (laughs) Obeying Jesus is hard. And if we hear Jesus in this passage, uh, we'll notice that much like fishing, if obeying him feels easy, we're probably doing it wrong. Jesus prunes the church by speaking a commandment that is difficult to obey. Does obeying Jesus feel hard? Good. That's a sign that you're part of a fruitful church. Does obeying Jesus feel easy? No tension, no struggle, nothing in your life you need to change. Watch out. 
It's the unfruitful church that God neglects to prune. One of the clearest signs that a church has departed from the true vine is that they no longer struggle to keep Jesus' commandment, to love each other. Your friend at church gossips about you and you're tempted to lash out with your tongue. That guy at church is really hard to talk to and it feels like he's not here for the right reasons. Your husband doesn't lay down his life for you at church and when you try to talk to him about it, he dismisses you. You rock up to church on time week after busy week, and no one seems to care, notice, or say thank you. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. If it feels easy, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) Love like Jesus commands will cost much, but take heart. God prunes the fruitful church he loves. It isn't pleasant, but it's how we know he loves us. But there's more for us in these words of Jesus. Did you notice that? It's not just that the difficult obedience leads to fruit. Difficult obedience leads to joy. Did you see verse 10 to 11? If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that your joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. A challenge to you this morning. Uh, I'd love you to go and find someone after church who's been a Christian for longer than you. And ask them two questions. Uh, One, has it been easy to obey Jesus by loving his people? And two, would you do it again? Has it been easy? Would you do it again? I guarantee you this. If they're in Jesus, they would answer no, but yes. Has it been easy? No. Would you do it again? Yes. Why? Well, Jesus doesn't want our obedience in spite of our joy. He wants our joy. And let's talk about joy for a second. I think there's two realities from life that we all know that will help us to understand what Jesus is saying here. Uh, One, the things that bring us the most joy require the most difficulty. And two, we don't really know what will bring us joy. Married person, what brings you more joy? Was it the easy moments of dating when life was simple and you weren't committed to each other? Or the hard-fought, difficult, daily struggle to love each other And the moments when the sun breaks through the clouds and you see that happen. Parents, what brings you more joy? Isn't it looking back over the tantrums and the nappies and the failures to see that your child grew and developed and matured? Workers, what brings you more joy? Is it the easy days when there's not that much to do? Or is it that difficult project where, with God's help, you were able to get it done, something that no one thought was possible. 
See, the things that bring us most joy require the most difficulty. Isn't that true? Second, we need to be told what will bring us joy. I think we're all a little bit like children, aren't we? Uh, We like to chase whatever is shiny, tasty, immediate, but ultimately hollow. God knows what will bring us joy. You see, you didn't know what you were in for when you got married. I didn't. You didn't know what you were in for when you had that baby, when you took on that project. But God did. If you've ever experienced any joy in your life, who orchestrated that? Wasn't it your Father in heaven who loves you, knows you, and longs for your joy? So we can trust our Saviour Jesus when he says, These things I have spoken to you that your joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Obeying Jesus is hard. He prunes us by his word, but it shows us that we are God's beloved garden, and it leads to our joy. So the fruitful church remains in Jesus, joyfully obeys him, even as he prunes them. But does Jesus want any more from us than just faithfulness and obedience? What does he want from us? There are many answers you might have heard to this question. The fruitful church will care for the poor. The fruitful church will fight for the environment. The fruitful church will campaign against what is politically wrong. And there's a place for all these things. But the answer this passage gives us is that the fruitful church will serve alongside Jesus in his mission to the lost. Uh, Verses 13 to 16. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. I don't know if you noticed, but verse 7 and verse 16, it seem to give us a blank check when it comes to prayer. Ask for whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. Really? Can I ask for a Lamborghini? A cheese toasty, and to become... uh, key striker for the Socceroos. That's what I want. Is that okay? (laughs) No, Jesus is not telling us that we have a blank check for our earthly desires. He's telling us that as his fruitful church, God changes our desires to be more like his. And God loves to answer the prayers of his fruitful church, whose desires have been aligned with Jesus' mission. Cut the fruitful church, and the sap they bleed is Jesus' mission. God wants us to want what he wants. But how does God change our desires? Well, first, Jesus dies for his friends. Verse 13. Did you see that? Do you know that Jesus is the only one who can truly lay down his life? 
Uh, You might have seen stories about people taking bullets for other people. Do you know that no human has ever really laid down their life for anyone except Jesus? Why? Well, every human is destined to die, aren't they? Here's what I can do for you. At best, I can bring forward my death so that your death gets pushed back a few decades. That's the best I can do, right? I can't actually give you life. Even if I die for you, one day you will die too. But Jesus actually has eternal life. When it says he lays down his life for his friends, Jesus does that. He gives up his eternal life to taste death so that we don't have to. When we greet death, it's as though we're greeting a toothless snake. Venom extracted. Death for the Christian is the gateway to eternal life. So, how could you not be on board with the mission of Jesus? He died for you. But also, he calls us to work alongside him as friends. Did you see there in verse 15, it says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. I was helping a friend move house the other day. Uh, And when I turned up, there were three uh, removalists there, and they were paid by the hour. Now, I don't know if you've ever worked with removalists who are paid by the hour, but I've never seen three grown men move more slowly in my life. (laughs) It took them about uh, five minutes to decide what they would move next, ten minutes to prepare to move it, another five minutes to decide who would move it, and then 20 minutes to move it, and then another 20 minutes to wrap it so it didn't get broken on the way down. But I was there as a friend. My goal was to help my friend get to their new house with all their things. I wasn't being paid. I was a friend. You see, the difference between serving Jesus' mission and serving anything else is like the difference between working as a removalist and helping your friend move house. Jesus appoints us, his friends, whom he died for, to take part in his mission of proclaiming the gospel to all nations. Become his friend by trusting him. Serve alongside him as you would serve a friend. Pray for his mission like you would pray for a friend, a dear friend, a friend who died for you. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit And that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask in my name, he may give it to you. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the true vine. He is the embodiment of what God's people are meant to be. And it's only by trusting him that we become God's people, remaining in him that we stay God's people, obeying him that we experience joy as God's people and serving alongside him, that we bear fruit as God's people. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you very much for your son, Jesus, the one who was truly just 
and truly righteous. Uh, Please help us to trust in him, to stick with him, even as we experience pressure to depart. And Father, we pray you would help us to be fruitful as we seek to reach people with the gospel. Help us to be fruitful as we obey Jesus. Help us to experience joy in him. In Jesus' name, amen.